Brad, real quickly, I just want to prop our new sponsors, Silk City Hot Sauce, delicious, freshly made hot sauce from Southern Vermont. You could get discounts and a free bottle with the promo code GOT at SilkCityHotSauce.com. Macho, macho, man. thought we were just uh, dancing in here. Yeah, well, let's dance. Do you think I'm a macho guy, Brad? No. No, me neither. Wussy. Sometimes when I have interviews like this, I realize that. You want to hear something funny about this one is I've wanted to interview Doc for a long time. He's an old friend. He's a really, really interesting character. And I thought he'd be a good fit for the show. And when Homeboy from his band kind of started spouting off a little too much, I found it problematic personally, you know, and I was like, as much as I love Doc right now, I don't want to like associate with the group at this moment. You know what I mean? Because of this. And I'm doing research for the, for the show and looking into like, you know, the band more deeply into bad wolves. And, you know, I didn't grow up in that scene. So before doc joined this band, I personally didn't know who the fuck this guy, Tommy was, you know, he wasn't like a big deal to me. And I'm realizing that a lot of people have taken kind of this other side, this idea that like there is no racism in metal and that they're on this guy. No, no, this dude, no bad. And I came from the other side, which was like, I want nothing to do with this band until this dude is gone. Right. Right. (laughs) And even to the point, something interesting happened. You know how like YouTube, if you don't clear your history after a while, it starts to stalk you and know what you like and stuff like that. And of course, inexplicably, last night, who shows up in my algorithm but a a show by, I don't like saying his name because I don't like the guy, but it rhymes with Sven De Niro. And Sven De Niro was hosting that that lady who got kicked off of The Mandalorian for, you know, talking too much. (laughs) (laughs) And he's got this episode and I'm like, Sven De Niro, what are you doing in my algorithm? <laughs> and literally just because I was looking up like the bad wolves and like and checking out this dude, it was leading me to like conservative, like it started to think the algorithm started to think I was going right wing, you know? Whoa. <laughs> so I think that's proof in the pudding right there. Yeah. You know? Pretty funny. But I try to stay away from Sven De Niro links, you know. I don't like Given him any extra clicks, you know, but I'm glad we got into it as much as we could in this episode. Of course, there's uh, a lot of murky water around it and things that people aren't, uh, you know, even allowed to say at this point. So I completely understand that. Tried to get a little abstract with it. At least we touched on it a bit, but mostly we got into docs just like, I don't know amazing past how he came up and really like uh he's got some good ideas i gotta yeah say. and he's just such a bright guy that uh pretty much you give him any topic you know be it casting in an action movie or you know <laughs> the way we uh are going through political discourse in this country he usually has you know even if you don't agree with him it's it's interesting and it's well thought out and i respect yeah. uh i respect the doctor a lot Funny side story. Do you know how he he kind of quickly mentioned in this interview that he, you know, fortunately for for him was able to go to this like kind of nice private school. Right. And 
you know, I'm from the same area as Doc, so I had nothing to do with this school either. And when I was like 18 or 19, my buddy Mike Greenstein got me a job at a rich kid's summer camp called (laughs) called High Hills, High Hills Day Camp. Hi, Hi Hills. How, how are you? Feel so good taking a walk through the woods. I think that was the song. But anyway, I worked there for three summers. It was great. And in, in, and it was on this campus of a private high school called Gill St. Bernard's. And I used to go there every day and I'd be like, oh my God, like who the fuck actually goes to school in this place? You know what I mean? Like this is like a crazy like college campus with rivers and streams and these beautiful buildings and this gray area. And then uniquely, like a year or two later, I'm talking to Doc and he's like, yeah, me and Dallas went, went to that school. And I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. Like, how did that even happen? So between Doc's background, his family, the things he's seen, his friends, like, I mean, really a broad spectrum of understanding, you know? And I think that's why he's a really cool cat to just have in, in, the, middle, in the middle of everything, you know? Informative and refreshing. Sure is. Well, Brad, shall we? It's going on so what's up, Doc? <laughs> yeah, what's going on, pal? Uh, it's a good question. What what is what is going on? I don't know. I'm just hanging here. You know, I two days in a row of just like eating the worst food and just watching movies. Like, I watched like four action movies beginning to end yesterday. Wow. Right. And well, what are they? Yeah. What's we going watched, on with you? Oh, no, just my, my buddies. Like I have some friends that are like huge movie nerds like me. So they'll have like these themed watch parties. So it's like, usually it's like a horror thing, but, the, but they did action movies. So we did Hobbs and Shaw, mm-hmm. uh, Mad Max Fury Road. And then we did, Terminator 2. Oh, Judgment nice. Day, maybe. Classic. Then I came home and I put on Rambo 2. Just, you know, I made it about third way. I was like, I'm going to put... Because I, I got a big-ass TV 4K. I just went crazy with it. So, you know, I'm in the movie. Okay, it's not... A little too much Rambo. That's that's tough at night. It's not enough Rambo. I don't know. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, no, I was actually thinking, thinking about yeah. this. I was like... You know, so I remember when I was a kid, the first Schwarzenegger movie I, wa- Schwarzenegger movie I watched was Commando. Yeah. And I immediately liked it better than Rambo. And then I realized now I'm older, I understand why. Because Rambo has a message. Right. Rambo's like, you know, the vets and they like they, deep. Sh- yeah. they spit on us and they like call us baby killers, right? And it was like a message. There's no yeah. message in Rambo or in Commando. <laughs> no. Commando's the plot of a video game. All right. <laughs> right, right, right. And I'm like, that is I, I understand that. I don't learn nothing at the end of Commando. Right, right. I don't right. need to like think about politics. I just know sure. one guy went and killed all the people by himself. No, it's true. Right. It's like, cause you can tap into the source of Rambo's rage, right? It's, it gets too personal. You yeah. Know? It's like, it's, it's almost, uh, I don't know. Well, I guess it was a successful film, but maybe almost a little, a little too heartfelt. Is Terminator 2 the best sequel of all time? Yes. Probably. Yes. I'd have to go. Well, actually, no. For my money, yeah, I'll probably take Aliens. Even though a lot of people like Alien, I mean, it's probably the. I guess if you you were to look at the heart of it, 
the improvement from Terminator 2 over Terminator mm-hmm. and the fact that Terminator is already a classic right. is, you know, probably the biggest jump from something being great to being that much greater where the original Alien is still flawless. And, so, and a lot of people still prefer the original Alien to Aliens. But uh-huh. if I had to take a movie, I'd, I'd probably take Aliens over T2. Okay. But that's, you know, maybe that's me being like, oh, I like the de- this, the demo more than the album. Maybe I'm being a little that guy. I mean, I like how genre specific you are because I lo- we didn't even touch into like Godfather 2, you know, some of the more classic sequels of, uh, of the time. Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. But it's funny, that actually led into something I wanted to ask later in the interview, but since we started it off here, let's just go for it, okay? I know you're a big fan of action films, as we've addressed in this intro here. Uh, Now, say tomorrow, Michael Bay gives you a call. Random. You don't have his number. I don't even know if you're a big fan of him or someone like Michael Bay. I am a fan. He says, Doc, I've been listening to the X-Men. I respect your vision. And here's the keys to my next production. Here's the keys. Okay. Now let's say the only thing you got to stick to is that it's like a classic buddy, like a buddy action film. Okay. Yeah. Now, who do you cast as the two buddies, the love interest, the comedic third wheel? And what are you looking for in like a basic premise here? Well, I, I got ideas. I have movies. I know. I, just, I figured I'd tap into something. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. All right. So, the premise. Yeah. And hope you guys don't steal this. Listen to the show. Don't steal this. <laughs> I mean, you're putting it on. Nobody's going to hear this. No, no, no. Right, but this is, right. just remember at the end of what I say, just put TM. Okay. Okay. Co- this is copywritten. So, I, gotcha. I will come after you. All right. So, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, the premise is that it takes place in the future. Right. Uh-huh. And it's like 50 years in the future. And, uh, you know, people and like athletes are getting like cybernetic enhancements and stuff. So when you watch like basketball, yeah. these dudes are jumping 20 feet in the air. And it's just uh-huh. like, it's crazy. But it's also super PC time. Right. So football, like okay. by this time, they're like, there's all these crazy football players. They're jumping over the place and just these crazy hulking maniacs. And they ban football because they're sick of kids getting right. heads messed up, right? And so okay. then right. you right. have all right. these cybernetically jacked up dudes and all this stuff, but now they're, <laughs> they're, out, of, they're out of the job. So they become they do? like criminals, right? Because they're like, yo, it's all we can do. We got all this muscles and we can jump over cars, but they won't let us work. So yeah. they got to become criminals. But the only way you can stop okay. them is you need some good football players to go after them. Right. right, like RoboCops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, something like that. So right. I'm basically borrowing kind of the setup of The Last Boy Scout is one of my favorite buddy cop movies ever. Oh, yeah. Bruce sure, Willis, Damon sure. Wayans. But I'm going to flip it. So Where you watch someone just get smoked in the middle of a football field first scene, right? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, but, I mean what a film. What a film. So, yeah. So, so who I would get as – actually, okay, I'm going to do it super weird. I'm going to do it super weird. So – I'm going to flip it. So I'm going to make the old shot dude a black guy. So that's going to be Keith David because oh, he's an all-time okay. legend. Great, great, Okay. Great. So, but he'll be like an old coach, right? Oh, right, right, right. Okay. He'll be like an old coach. And then... You need kind of that like salty thing there. Yeah. And yeah, I'm just right. I'm just going to go like weird, deep cut, like not action dude. But I just think it would be funny. 
Maybe we actually have him get jacked up for the part. Uh-huh. It's Jason Schwartzman. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> We just have him get jacked, and he'll be like, he, maybe, you know what, maybe, see, here's the thing. We've never made a movie about a kicker, all right? right. Oh, so he'll be like go. a kicker yeah. who, like, he's all jacked up. He's got a super leg, can't do nothing, and then he uh-huh. started, like, a private eye service, and he has to go after these, yeah. these yeah, rogue yeah, yeah. players. All right, okay. love interest. Who's a good love interest? Um, so I, get, I feel like I got I to go, like, uh, I don't know, Lenny Kravitz's daughter. She's uh, pretty Yeah, amazing. she's good. She's good. You know, I don't know if okay. she'd be in the Jason Schwartzman. Probably not. Probably like, yo, you're shot. All right. <laughs> well, I mean, he's five Jack foot, now, right? So, yeah, but I'm saying you're five foot six, you know, you're, you know, an older millennial, not like a young millennial. Right. You know, born like 79. We can't hang with you, you know, but, you know, but he's got gravitas, maybe. I don't know. Maybe sure. he hit, he, the last Super Bowl that ever happened, he hit a, uh, the game winning field goal. All right. right. <laughs> so it's all across the dome. Except for the plot, that story, I've, that's a, a story I've wanted to make for a while. I think it'd be, I think it'd be great, crazy. It's, so it's really interesting. It. No, no, it's really interesting. And listen, this casting is exactly the reason Michael Bay is calling you because <laughs> of this visionary uh, perception. Oh, what do we got for like the comedic third wheel? Well, technically, maybe I should redo it because <laughs> Jason Schwartzman is too funny. Right, he he's kind of good in that. Com- I mean, the comedic third wheel could still include Jack Schwartzman. I mean, he can still work out for this part. Yeah, he could well, be the holder. You the know? holder. Yeah, so for the I, kicker. See I'm, see, I'm trying to think. Maybe I should redo it. Actually, maybe I'll just going to do it because right now my favorite like leading man kind of action guy is is Denzel's son. John David Washington, like that ah. dude just got, he's got What's all he the stuff. In? What's he What's been that? In? What's he he's been in? He's in Tenet. Uh, he's in Black Klansman. Right. right he's right. in that show Ballers. He's going to be like the next guy. He's going to be basically like Denzel part two. He's Wait, he's basically. not Ricky on Ballers, is he? He is the, I think so. He's uh, like the wide receiver dude. Yeah, yeah. Because I just saw him. Oh, you know, that makes a lot more sense because I just watched the film Last week, uh, with him, he played like a um, uh, a successful like Los Angeles uh, film director. Yeah, Malcolm and Marie. Yeah, Amazing. same actor. Yeah, he's yeah. Ricky. It makes a lot more sense that that's Denzel's son because I'm watching that movie and I'm like, seems a little ambitious for Ricky Jared. I'm like, I don't know if he could pull off this role. And then I'm like, 20 minutes into it, I'm like, good God, like. Dude can fucking act like, and then I was just gripped in that movie. That movie okay, fucked actually, me up a little, though. Hold on, I'm I'm flipping. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. Okay, all right. All right. Keith David is out. All right, he's out. Oh. He's out. My guys are John David Washington, okay. Jason Schwartzman, uh-huh. and then my funny sidekick is gonna be um, Chelsea Peretti. She's hilarious. Oh, that's good. That's good. Oh, then you're tapping you into mainstream sitcoms. Dude, she just, but that's not you. Know, she was in this dumbass movie I just watched, like this, I forget what it was even called, and it's bad, but she's amazing in it. And I was like, yo, you get gold star. When you're like good in a bad movie, you get extra credit. So, yeah, I agree. I agree. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I think this whole pitch might get Michael Bay calling. <laughs> hey, man, how, you, I got more than that. I got a lot of ideas. Now you're ready. I like the idea. Every time you go to the future, they always have like new wild sports. But I like the idea of like, because it probably would be like that where you have, 
the traditional sports, but like super enhanced. So that's a good vision, dude. I want to see. It's that. got it all. It's got little superhero stuff. Yeah. You know, it's got PC backlash, you know, you little right. political thing. It's got it all. All right. It'll be hilarious. It'll be I amazing. mean, it makes me think too now. I'm like, there must have been a period in time, even in like the Roman days, where, you know, some major magistrate made a big stink about uh, gladiators and the fighting. And then all of a sudden, banned it, you know, oh, we're gladiator fighting's banned. And then there were just these like 300 dudes in oh, Rome yeah. <laughs> who were just like, you know, what the fuck are we going to do now? Like we're gladiators. This is what we do. We like kill lions. How do you want us to, just, what, you want me to be a blacksmith now? You know? Dude, that's what happened in Iraq. They fired the whole army. Right. What they do? They right. end up working for the, you know, the other side. That's how it goes. You can't just, you got, you got to hook people up. You need a retirement plan, baby. That's right. That's <laughs> right. I mean, I heard it. it yeah. Actually, I'm not even going to get into that. Doc. That's that's a whole <laughs> nother avenue we could get into with the Saudi oil companies and blah, 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 blah. But anyway, so you're home. You're in Los Angeles, correct? Like I live in Long Beach, so Los Angeles okay. County, so but close. not Los Angeles City. Not but LA, I was in, in the city for five and a half years, six years, same year. Okay. How long have you been out that way? Only a few months. Only a couple months. I moved here right a couple days before Christmas. What's the vibe? Love it. Yeah. It's uh, way more mellow. It's beautiful. I mean, we're half mile, 10 minute walk to the beach. Fuck yeah. Uh, tons of just like, it's very walkable. There's restaurants and bars and cool stores. And you can just kind of, you know, my girlfriend's vegan, tons of vegan stuff. It's, uh, dude, it's great. I mean, the only thing that sucks, I'm just, I'm driving a lot, spend a lot more on uh, gas and stuff like that. But, you know. Everything has its advantages and disadvantages, but I, 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 I love it. That's awesome. And what's your uh, what's your day to day been like? Like how you uh, how you getting up in the morning? How you how you how you framing your days? Like how you going about all this? Uh, I mean, it's been an evolution. I, you know, I made kind of a commitment last year. I was like, you know, what? I'm gonna stop buying sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and i'll be rich <laughs> no i was like i'm gonna invest in like my my home studio so i bought wow. uh i bought a new mac mini apollo uh universal audio Ooh, apollo quad i got you know i got new guitars i got software and you know plugins and i feel like i've ha- barely have taken advantage of it to to the level it really could be but mm-hmm. at least I'm set up. I really don't have any excuses as far as if I want to work on something or develop something. I've done some cool things where it's like, oh, man, I'm starting to get okay at this. But uh, so, you know, but, so essentially when all this happened, Bad Wolf started a Patreon page. Right. So we immediately kind of went to developing a lot of content for that, doing live streams, um, and then also started working on a record. So we were writing and and doing all that stuff and uh and then i got a a job on another show called last words which is a podcast slash youtube show and then i have my own podcast the x-mans which because i'm home it allowed me to be a lot more consistent with it so so my week just became a lot more scheduled where i was like okay monday is when i do my podcast tuesday is when i record this other show wednesday is when i do my live stream and then trying to kind yeah, of yeah. fit 
writing and studio and, and also been, you know, I don't know if you've done any of this, like a lot of those, like, uh, kind of quarantine cover type things. I did a few of those that end up being way more time consuming than you initially realized, (laughs) you know, doing some writing for some other people. Um, dude, I had back surgery in November. I had COVID around that time. I've had the, the full, the full experience. Um, so you've had a year, man. Well, things my my mother passed away last year, so I went. So I like I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, I I lost yeah. weight. My mother passed away, and I was miserable, so I gained weight, and then I went to keto, and I lost. <laughs> I've like gone back back and yeah, forth. Yeah. So it's so for me, and then we got a dog, which has been like, you know, a lot of work, way more than I anticipated. Yeah. Um, so yeah, sure. so it's it's been, and then we split with our singer. Uh, about a month ago, and just that whole process of being on the, the the singer search and still writing new material and that whole thing. So it's been a lot. So how, how did my days start? Usually, actually, I've been doing this cold shower thing. You guys know about this? Yeah, anxiety it starts with? Christ, <laughs> that, geez. No, you ever heard about all the benefits? Yeah, that's of, the way my day starts. So no, but no, actually, no, I'm that's just saying it's it sounds like yeah, it's been tough. I have heard of the cold shower. Actually, a friend of mine who has recovered from a, a brain tumor is a huge proponent of it. Has been trying to convince me of it for a while. What's the what's the vibe? You into it? Yeah, well, apparently, what it does is it it helps you deal with stress. So you're oh. basically putting your body into a shock immediately, and. Uh-huh. uh it basically makes you more resilient. So when you experience stress in your day, you you actually become more tempered to like deal with it. Wow. How interesting. Or, or so they say. So what's the routine of the cold shower? How does it work? I, I, I put turn on the water and I get in. That's it. You just <laughs> yeah. take a cold shower. Well, you don't have to, you don't take like a cold shower and then a hot shower. Or- yeah. Sometimes I'll do that. It depends if I actually, need to take a shower then i'll <laughs> right i'll I, like i only do the cold for maybe a few minutes you know oh, just okay. make sure i get my entire body and then i'm in it and i'm like acclimated to it and i'm like okay and then either like today i did it and i just got out dried out and take a shower i just got cold um gotcha. and then and then someday then i'll make it warm and then take a normal shower i used to use it as a hangover cure man back when i used to party a lot it was like the best well hangover. it does theoretically it does wake you up so, yeah. so it does have those things, but there's all these other benefits to like your skin and, uh, you know, like recovery. I mean, it's a very minute version of that because the re- to do the real muscle recovery, you have to do in like a cryo chamber. But usually, mm-hmm. what people do, they'll go like extreme cold to extreme to like go from like a ice bath to a sauna, and like that has all this kind of stuff for your body. I'm not doing anything that crazy, but. <laughs> Did you have like a real world experience where like you're like, oh, I just reacted like a little differently. My must have been the cold shower. No, I I feel like things like that, like I always feel like anything that involves elite performance is always in like just the tiniest bit of increments. Right. Like I would Mm -hmm. say like the difference between the fastest person in the world, Usain Bolt, and, like, the guy that comes in 10th that you never heard of is, like, point zero zero zero, whatever right. miles per hour or whatever distance. And that's how I, I think this kind of, once you're at a certain level of whatever your field is, 
And I feel like I'm kind of knocking on the door of a pretty high level in terms of rock and metal, in terms of the the people I kind of play with and and the kind of circles sure. I'm, I'm involved with and where I want to send to. It's just those little advantages that you have over someone else, mm. whether it, and you see that in sports, right? Like, oh, well, Kobe went and stayed, you know, yeah. hours after the game and did, he did all this other crazy shit, sure. but all that crazy shit probably only made him like 0.0001% better. But that one little edge gave him something a little bit over the competition. And because once you get to the NBA, right, everyone's great to some degree, right? right. Everyone was the best at their school. Yeah. Everyone was the best. So I'm kind of like that, like coming out of the world we came out of, Benny, like every level, it's very similar to that, right? When you're in, in the local scene, you're trying to be the best local band. And then when you start touring, you're trying right. to be maybe the best band of your scene that's touring. And then all sure. of a sudden you get massive tours. You're like, oh, now we're on tour with Slipknot and Slayer. Yeah. Can we be as good as them? Yeah. Maybe, right. maybe not. Uh, so you're constantly like trying to level up and, and judge yourself by your peers, but also the people who are kind of on that next rung of the ladder. Sure. And I just feel like the older I get, I, I also feel like you have you just don't time is not on your side. So if you don't <laughs> bust your ass now, then you're going to regret that you had this time that you didn't spend doing X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yeah, your body's not even gonna allow it soon. I remember we had uh, we had Chris Shiflet on a couple months ago, you know, from No Use for a Name and Foo Fighters, and he was saying that if there's there's one regret he had about you know like his twenties and thirties, he's like I slept too much. <laughs> he's like all this time I could have been you know pushing the guitar, pushing some other thing, and he's like I was just fucking sleeping, you know. Well, it's yeah. funny people always say they go on your deathbed. People always say. You know, I should have spent more time with my family. I should have did. It's me. I never really think. <laughs> I'm always like, man, I could have made another record. I could have worked <laughs> right. on this thing. I could have wrote a book. I, like, and maybe that makes me weird. And maybe on my deathbed, I'll, I won't think that way. But I always feel like, in many ways, I guess for some people, their legacy is their family or their children. I don't have kids yet. So my legacy is the things I create, I guess. I don't know. Sure. Well, I mean, that, that leads into something else I wanted to talk to you about even because, you know, I had kind of forgot actually until I was reviewing a God Forbid documentary before we um, got into this. How young you and Dallas were when all this started, you know, um, guys are babies, you know, and you kind of yeah. got, you know, thrown into this group of dudes who I know who are fucking pretty wild, not like wild, wild dudes, but, you know, They're pretty wild pretty wild like <laughs> definitely get you know they'll get you so i mean do you think you kind of frame that as you got older and older like you know um uh everything you've had that's been reality driven work driven um career focus driven has been music like from the time you were not even out of high school yet right so do you think that just like framed your whole mentality like that oh I always say it was never that planned or it was never, it never felt like we were working on a career. I just right. literally didn't want to do anything else. And I didn't <laughs> know how to, how to do anything else. I was really afraid of being an adult and uh -huh. like being, having to be responsible and do, I don't know. I just, there was this idea in my mind that 
work, normal work just sucked. It all sucked. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and I was like, well, that's fun. You know, I mean, be, even like being in a rehearsal room and working on stuff, it was work and it was hard. It was difficult, especially after you do it after you've been working all day, right? You've been landscaping right. all day. Yeah, and you right. have to get in a rehearsal room at nine at night and you're exhausted. Um, but it wasn't. And you're a big we, noise nonetheless. Exactly. But I mean, we were there <laughs> fucking 24 7 anyway. You know, before we yeah, get yeah. in bars, that's that's where we hung out. But, but, but no, it was it was never this real great idea. It's only in hindsight you look back and realize, oh, I was working really hard, or oh, we were really focused, or you just you don't really realize it in the moment. You just you just kind of go with your gut, and our gut was we like doing this, and and I always feel like the best thing about God forbid was early on, and even before we were called God forbid, we were we never had that like weird local band. Um, irrational confidence. Like we, like we knew mm. how good we were at every t- point. Like when we weren't good, we knew we weren't good. Right. So we always like looked up to the bands that we were, and all of a sudden it's like, and it wasn't until a certain point where we looked around and all said, "Oh, now you're not looking up to people. Now you're kind of standing shoulder to shoulder." But it wasn't because we thought yeah, we were that peers. band. It took a long. It took a, mm. a lot of years of like we like we were truly humble because we just didn't we would look at bands that were good and be like look at how great look at how amazing candy is look how amazing overcast is look how amazing <laughs> right. gillinger is and we sure. really put them on this pedestal um and when we started to kind of get better it was like oh damn we're starting to get good but it was like wanting to be as good as other bands and wanting to be as tight as them and wanting to be as technical and wanting to be as musical um Keep putting our head down was our best asset, I think. You know, right. where I feel like a lot, of, and we didn't really have a lot of f- friends. Like I remember a lot of local bands would do well because they would play a show and all their friends would come, and they would think right. they were great because all their friends would would hype them up. <laughs> right, right. But we the literally people, yeah, yeah. But literally, people didn't co- start coming to our shows until fan they were fans because we weren't cool enough. To right. have like a social scene support us, even yeah. though we would have some friends or yeah, some, yeah. it was a, a, a handful of people, but it wasn't enough to fill a venue. Yeah, but you guys weren't like scene dudes. Like we, you guys, we came were, on we weren't scene. Yeah, we were, like, we weren't. We were like with your band. Yeah. We were like stowaways, right? Like, we were like metal <laughs> right. people who fa- discovered the scene and were just like glommed onto it. And a lot of people are like, you know, they're they're uh, skeptical of your motives. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Reasonably so. Do you remember anyone in particular kind of kind of making you feel that way back in the day? No, because we honestly we were so um, kind of earnest. You know, like we weren't cynical at all, and I could understand, but you know, but I. I think with us, we, when we started playing, like we, it, that was right. And we started to feel like we were getting good and we were, mm-hmm. we would play when we would get an opportunity, we'd be like, we're, we're better than these bands. Why are they going crazy for that band? And I'm like, and, he, and you kind of got up in that thing. Like, oh, it's like hype or it's like, those are my homies. So I'm going to dance hard for right. them or I'm going to, and 
And we started to see, oh, th- oh, that band gets a show because they know that guy or their friends or this person. And we're like, oh, it's so it's about kind of the politics and it's about the networking. So we didn't, even though it would piss us off, we just started playing the game. We're like, all right, then we're just going to become mm. friends with all the people. We're going <laughs> to, and we were just at every okay, show where right. you just couldn't. So to me, like I said, I think by virtue of that, then we did become part of the scene. I mean, through and through, that was my life for right. three or four years. Where that, that, and that was the first community ever in my life that I felt comfortable in, ever. Right. You know, even though, even though yeah. stylistically I loved metal, there wasn't a metal scene. Right. There wasn't a group of people I could go to and hang out and be around metal. But, but I always felt the hardcore scene, they were all metalheads anyway, right? It didn't really matter. They were right. just more eclectic. They liked everything, right? You'd listen to Suffocation right, sure. and you'd listen to Jimmy Eat World and it didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember even guys like, uh, you know, both of our idols, people like Dan Sobin and John Stanley, you know, guys like that. I remember 90% of the time if I was in the van with them or something, it was always, it was like thrash metal the entire time. I thought they would, I thought you guys were listening to like the Cro-Mags all the time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, they were the proponents of... Uh... Was that Sepultura, Chaos AD, man? That was like the Bible back then. Yep. They ever give you the cock and mouth? I'm sure, yes. I never really get. Listen, we came in a little (laughs) late, so a lot of the inside jokes were a little over my head. Right, right. (laughs) Well, those guys used to, I mean, they used to scare the shit out of me. They would do this thing called crusting, where they'd drive around New Brunswick and uh, essentially just harass, you know, people on the sidewalk, yell, say something weird. And then just take off on the green light. I've seen them grab hats, shoot people with water guns. And, I was, okay. I, and I'm like 15 in the back, like, oh, guys, I don't know about this. Yeah. This is There's a name scary. for that. It's called harassment. <laughs> right. Or if you were in the UK, harassment. <laughs> yeah. If it was 20 years later, they'd probably be in prison. Um, but even backtracking a little more, I know, you know both of your parents were musicians, right? Like your, your mom yeah. was a singer. Um, so what are some of your earliest memories of uh, like music in the house and what kind of music was it? And then when do you think like you really, you know, caught the bug, like, like where you really envisioned that this is something not only wanted to do, but even like could do? Well, I mean, early on, I remember being at rehearsals with my mother. So my mother and my father used to play in the same band. Oh, really? That's how they, that's how they met. What was the and, group uh, called? I think it was literally like the um, my mother's name was like the Donna Jackson Quartet or something like that. Oh, perfect. Uh, and uh, but you know, my dad was essentially just a guy who would gig with whoever. You know, he was a hired. He'd do weddings, and he was he would tour. You know, he was on tour when my brother was born, and he said he went on. He, when he came back from tour, my brother didn't recognize him. So that's when he quit. Oh, shit. He didn't hurt oh, him. Yeah. So that's when he decided to quit touring. He is a piano but, player. Piano player? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, you know, my my mother, I just remember, like, early on, she was, I remember, you know, she was she'd be going to vocal lessons or she'd be, like, working on things. And she was really into it. But she was getting into her late 30s, like, early 40s. And it kind of just seemed to go by the wayside. Um, mm. But my father it was like piano was his life, you know, you know, he would, okay. he would, so since 
he was taking care of us and we, me and my brother eventually went to live with him and he got custody. We were, you know, he never worked like a normal job. He just talked, taught piano and then he would do gigs on the weekends, you know, weddings or, okay. or whatever. So, so it was always a thing like, you know, we get in the morning, he wouldn't be gone. He wouldn't go to work till noon or something. Right. And he'd be, and then so he'd be around. Yeah. But he was always, but he practiced all day, every day. And it was always like jazz radio was on all day, you know? And so, and he would always be like, Oh, it's Louis Armstrong's birthday. So they're playing Louis Armstrong all day. Oh, it's Duke Ellington's birthday. So they're playing Duke Ellington all day, you know? And he was, but he was also just in a weird way. He never pushed anything on us, but he was constantly educating us in, in a not non-direct way. So it's like, guys, you got to check out this Hendrix record. Guys, you got to check out this Beatles record. Um, and then the thing that was cool about my dad was he was a very kind of progressive and of the moment person. So in the, like the early nineties, he got into public enemy and Rage Against the machine and tool uh, and cool. nine and Shell. So he was, so we were, wow. we were listening to Nirvana together. We were listening to Pearl jam together and he didn't, wow. he didn't sure. feel like an old person or he didn't feel like an uncool person. He was very like of the moment, even, even though he didn't like guns and roses and metallic and all that shit. So he was kind of, he wasn't on that train, but he liked he liked the new alternative stuff, and you know, uh, you know, and he was just a real proponent of Black history, Black culture, and making sure me and my brother were attuned to that, you know, and, and understood like where we came from. Where was he? Where was he living at when you when you moved with him? New Brunswick. We live right on right New Livingston Brunswick? Avenue, right like a few blocks from like the State Theater and all that. So, yeah, so we oh, lived okay. there until we were like 15 and we moved to East Brunswick. Um, yeah. And then I was like back and forth between my grandparents' house and Piscataway till literally I was like 30 years old. So I did my time around that area, basically between New Brunswick, based in that little circle around New Brunswick. So it was all based within a few miles. Right. Yeah. Your Middlesex County is fuck, man. Um, <laughs> and did you ever see your your mom uh, your mom perform? Did you ever see yeah, the Don I mean, Jackson Quartet? Yeah. No, that was a little too early. No, I, I mean I don't see my mother sing all the time. Um, you know, it was nothing big, but it was like events. Or I remember one time she did like a she had her own TV show, like public access show. Actually, God forbid, played on there before we called God forbid. <laughs> really? And she was like hosting and singing and doing oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> yelling at people. <laughs> <laughs> it was fucking hilarious. Um, yeah, but you know, and I think a lot of that, you know, I get. I think for my my mother's a very free spirit, and both my mother and father are nonconformists, right? They were not nine to fivers, you know, um, and they never explicitly told us to get into music or it's or or pushed us. It just kind of. I think you just gravitate towards what you see and what you know. And, and it just, in many ways it works against you, right? Cause if you had some really straight laced by the books parents, then maybe I would have <laughs> been better at certain things or been more responsible about certain things. Uh, but I don't know. I think, I think that's okay. But I, you know, I got a lot of that from my grandparents. My grandfather was a really big influence and he was like, you know, the kind of cliff Huxtable, of his era, very accomplished, uh, you know, well-to-do uh, black man in a very 
in an unprecedented way in Middles. Like he was the first uh, black man to have his real estate uh, realtor's license in uh, in Middlesex County. So he was a, he was a bit he was a big deal, and he really took my brother and I under under his wing. So having that kind of like tutelage and it takes a village type mentality, and he got my brother and I enrolled in a pretty big time private school, um, right? Which really gave us an edge in terms of education and kind of exposure. So yeah, I have a really eclectic upbringing. You know, you know, like I don't have a college degree. I'm with you, Doc. We made it without one, dog. <laughs> but did you? You went to college, right? I tried a little. I did like one semester at Raritan Valley, one semester at Middlesex County, and uh, like one and a half semesters at the School of Audio Engineering. Okay, you had, you had a lot of us. So let's just say I pissed away a bunch of money for a year and a half and fucked up most of it just because it wasn't. Was it your money or your parents? <laughs> it was mine. I'm afraid. The only thing that's ever, yeah, the only thing that's ever smudged my credit is quitting that audio engineering school and going toe to toe with them about the last payment. It's the only thing I've, I've ever put my foot down and been like, I'm not paying that because it's bullshit. But of course, the man screwed me because of it. No, we're, we're lifers, man. What are you gonna do? You know. <laughs> Yeah, you're not you're, you're not wrong, and it's um, it's this weird thing where I almost feel I don't know if you're like this, but like if I don't, and maybe I got this from my father because he would just practice every day. Where it's like if I don't, if I don't keep the tools sharp, I feel like you're you're you it's you can lose it, you know. Even though maybe that's not mm-hmm. even true, but it's just like you always have to be ready for like the next gig or the next session or whatever. So it's this thing of like, I'm interested in all these things, but I can never get away from the guitar because that's like, I don't know. It's like, I guess it just becomes part of your identity. Yeah, for sure. I think you tie it to almost like, like we talked about before, since we never finished school or really signed up for the gold watch anywhere and got into something a little more steady I mean, it's the thing you can hang your hat on at the end of the day, because a lot of the output we put out into the world is almost like metaphorical, you know? It's like you put it out there, maybe someone will like it, maybe they won't, maybe they'll buy it, maybe they won't. But I think the one thing you can almost hang your hat on at the end of the day is, you know what? It's good. I was good on it. I played well. You know what I mean? Like everything else, like what the fuck are you going to do, you know? So... And I think, yeah, and you watched your dad just getting ready for sessions and shit. I think it's been good for you because in the last, um, you know, decade, you've been forced to kind of find a lot of your own avenues and, you know, you've been ready for them. So it's a good instinct to have. Yeah. I mean, listen, as far as I'm concerned, every step of this is uncharted territory. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, I quit God from mid 2013, moved out to LA with, out much of a plan at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and just been improvising. As I say, been forest gumping it through life. <laughs> and some, you know, I, you know, not the full forest gump. Cause I, I don't count my bubble gum check yet, but yeah, right. <laughs> You're not that uh, fast, but no, I mean, just kind of trusting my gut, uh, constantly trying to evolve. You know, I think a lot of people, it's interesting because 
I just had Scott Vogel from Terror on my, on, on my podcast, right? And I, right. I was, and he's like the most hardcore dude I can think of, right? In many many ways, just true, the yeah. truest guy. Sure. But it always kind of strikes me when I when I see a lot of people we we came up with like there'll be a show or some reunion, you know. And I'm not in Jersey anymore, so a lot of stuff I can't really attend. But it's like a lot of those people that communities, those communities and groups are pretty solid, right? Those people kind of tend to gravitate back towards that thing of familiarity. And I'm just not that way. Mm-hmm. Like, like I would go to a show, it's not anything like that, but it doesn't, I'm not looking to relive anything or like harken yeah, back right. to the old days. I really don't care. Like I'm really into the next thing, right? Like, like for example, like yeah, God yeah. forbid, like, I'd be down to do a God forbid show or do some show, whatever. It'd be totally cool, but not because I'm trying to relive something. I would do it because it'd be cool to do now, you know? Uh, Right. And I'm just someone that wants to just keep constantly evolving and not, like I said, don't, that's what people talk about revolutions, right? But a revolution to a sense, if you do a full revolution, you go right back to where you started. (laughs) You know, you want to go 180 (laughs) degrees, not 360 (laughs) You know, yeah, sure. Um, so you want to kind of end up in a new place and not just live in a cyclical fashion, um, or to to believe that oh, oh, like, thing history repeats itself. I'm like it does, but it doesn't because there's always new wrinkles, right? Like the what we've experienced in the last four or five years with politics and social media, it's unprecedented because the the technologies are unprecedented. So why would it repeat itself when the tools, we're completely different people than we were 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago. So why would it repeat itself? There are elements that are familiar historically, but we're in unprecedented territory. So you need new tools to deal with new problems, you know? That's interesting. That's really interesting. Well, I love the ability to to change. One thing I found fascinating in the documentary, it's the last thing for now I'm going to talk about with God forbid, just because I got to find out about it. Hey, so problem. You talk about whatever you it want. Seemed like, it seemed like you all, like, uh, thanks, Doc. Um, you know, <laughs> you, you all were really pushing, but you had kind of like, I mean, and I appreciate it as also a Central Jersey guy. You know, you kind of had like a, like, fuck you, this is our thing. Like, we're doing our thing kind of here. With personality about it, which, you know, I love. And I saw part of it. So apparently there was another God forbid from like Virginia or North Carolina, North Carolina or something. And I'd like to read the letter that you wrote to this band. Okay. Brother, this is not a real letter, but I wrote oh, a fake one. That, no, but I wrote this for comedic, for, oh. for comedic effects. So you should definitely. Re- okay. I'm it. still going to say, all right. In quotes, dear ass. You busters need to change your name because we are getting a record deal very soon. Relapse, Metal Blade, Nuclear Blast, and Century of Media all want to sign us. It's hopeless for your band to compete against the might that is the real God forbid. Please don't write back. I don't acknowledge Mark Trick ass bitches. I'd wish you good luck, but you wouldn't know what to do with it if you got it. <laughs> oh, Wait, you know what the I last line is from, tired. right? I know. <laughs> Glenn no. Gary Glenn Ross. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's from that's, that's from the Alec drop. Baldwin uh yeah. monologue. Is that the By always way, be closing scene? I, 
Yeah, see, it's the last. <laughs> right, so it's you literally wrote the that last piece thing. Of genius. Yeah, I wrote. I wrote. I, well, me and my brother. I can't remember who. Who I feel like I wrote it, but it's still the, the whole point. We were <laughs> elevated. I'm sure we wrote a much nicer letter to them, or like email, just saying like, "Hey guys, you know we're it's looking really good." So, but it was. <laughs> You know, a way of you know that, that that documentary is a comedy. Okay, that's let's just put that out there. The whole point of that was to make people laugh. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm glad you well, you got to take a snapshot of that. They go, but yeah, <laughs> I think my favorite part is dear ass. <laughs> yeah, dear ass. <laughs> oh man. So that, so the, in reality, that actually panned out in a much more amicable, nice way than that. Yeah, they were actually really nice. They were really nice. We were just we, but we li- <laughs> did tell them we weren't lying. We were get, actually. Right. You're like, I'm trying to think, was that before? Actually, maybe we were lying. I'm trying to think when this was. But you know, ultimately, <laughs> we were right. We did get a record deal with one of those labels. So there you go. Was it clear which band it started first? Oh, I'm sure they were they were first. But here's what you gotta remember that the kind of those are the early Google days, right? So that was the only right, way you would right, even know. Right. But before that, there were always Ben, you know this, every local band town you go to, you would see bands with the same names because just people just didn't know. Mm-hmm. You would just Yeah, yeah. Uh so it was pretty common, and half of those bands would never do anything. So, who even gave a shit if they had the same name? It's not like people are offering cease and desist because someone, some band's playing a pizza shop, you know, in right. yeah, Akron, yeah. Ohio. Yeah, because you couldn't Google it, so it didn't actually matter if there was like. Well, there was Google then, and that's the reason why. Because I think with this band, the reason why we found them was we were trying to get GodForbid.com, and maybe they had it or something. So it was like something like that. Um. But but yeah, I mean it's it's one of those names where you're almost surprised it wasn't taken really by someone bigger by that by that point. But it worked right. out. Mm. <laughs> Did you ever do the demo trick where you uh, finish your demo, sealed in an envelope, and sent it to yourself to pretend that the so. sealed postmark was a trademark? Yeah, I, I mean, we thought I, I, it worked. I did it to every demo I had. Yeah, I was told we were told to do that. I'm sure we did it with with, with, the, with the first demo. You think I would have held up in a court to of be law? Opened in court. That that's the whole point. Is that it's sealed until you open it in court? Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't make sense to you, Brad. Uh, whatever. <laughs> hey, Doc. You know Brad was on Beavis and Butthead. What did you do on Beavis, Beavis and Butthead? I was Beavis. No. Are you serious? No, is that no, Mike I Judge? I was in a band that was on Beavis and Butthead. Which band? <laughs> band called The Goops. The Goops? Fuck yeah. G O P S. They were one of those bands that get made fun of by Beavis and Butthead. So awesome. Yeah. They didn't they give you. Hard it was, enough, though. Well, they were like, they, they did this anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think they liked it. I can't remember. Well, <laughs> speaking goops. of moving, moving forward, Doc, with uh, things changing. Um, as you said, the stuff with Tommy finally, you know, came to whatever head it did last month. And, you know, I know you said a statement back in June where, you know, you publicly were like, you know, we disagreed, but we're going to move forward. And I was wondering what the time was like from June until January 
And and was there anything like specific or was this just like a march towards kind of like a reality everyone knew was maybe coming? Yeah, I mean, listen, ultimately, there's a lot of things I just can't talk about right now because there's a lot of totally, yeah, I get it. legal stuff that actually has to be taken care of. So we're kind of in a, sure. you know, silent pattern to a, to, to a certain degree. So I'm, you know, I'm definitely not going to go out of my way to say anything disparaging or anything like that. I mean, I could say that it was a difficult time, but in some, to some degree, a bulk of the time being in this band has been difficult you know, to, 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 to some degree. And I think in many ways, it, what happened with our band is a reflection. I think of what happened to lots of individuals, families, organizations during the pandemic, which is that it just broke a lot of people. Do you think, I, I saw a quote you said a while ago, you said, uh, you know, I respect diversity of thought amongst my team. I think the world would be a better place if conversations were allowed to bridge gaps. And maybe one day the rest of the country will be like that. And and honestly, it's a very, uh, it's a noble goal to have. But, you know, when someone like Tommy starts, I, I'm sorry, I meant to make this more abstract so you didn't have to talk about <laughs> it specifically. But Good when job. somebody or someone, you know, starts to take a stance that's, you know, so far one way or so polarizing, is that even possible? Like, is it possible for two members of a band to be so diametrically opposed, maybe in this day and age when you're both like either required or uh, expected to speak on it and uh, expected to comment against each other, with each other about every fucking thing that's going on? Like, is it even possible for people with such opposing views to, to be in a group functionally together these days? Well, I think if you were to actually, if you actually look at all these bands that have been together for years and years and years, where the thrust of how they exist is not distinctly political, you would probably find a diversity of ideas in a lot of organizations. And I think what, sure. what we have to not do is kind of use the urgency of the moment to make, to like make that, to not understand contextually how this has always existed. 20 years ago, yeah. we did not know how a lot of people felt about political issues. And during that 20 years, it's become, everyone has been more and more polarized and more tribalized. So the types of opinions you get that people feel knee-jerk way to put out there, people just did not have those impulses 20 or 30 years ago. So I think, I, I think mm. to kind of say, hey, can people do that? Well, that's, that's us getting caught up in the moment. We always could. Like, I just can't think of how many people that I just, politics was not, it was not something that we talked about every minute of every day. And so I think it's a failure of our kind of collective consciousness to actually overemphasize these things. And listen, mm -hmm. I'm my background, yes, is more liberal background. And I, and I mean that culturally. And, and even if you were to, if I was going policy level or who the people I most identify with or feel comfortable with, yes, I would say that's where I 
do lean. But I think, yeah. you know, uh, liberal culture and liberal communities are just as guilty of reinforcing bubbles as anyone and echo mm-hmm. chambers. Um, mm-hmm. And, and in fact, have probably been more, more of a proponent of siloing off these, these things, because the truth is if you're right wing, there is uh, there liberal orthodoxy has more sway in pop culture. So in a sense, they have to like deal with it more. Right. They like if they want to turn on the Oscars, they want to put on a, you know, Star Wars movie like, oh, there's this like these or whatever. So they're more used to dealing with it, where I think in the last few years that. Cult that that part of the culture has gotten more rigorous where it's like, well, now it's guilty by association. So if you even know anyone, do you you talk to that person? You have them on show. And it becomes real squirrely and it just overemphasizes stuff and it becomes a problem. It gets worse and worse and worse and reinforces itself. And to me, the biggest takeaway I took away from 2016 was I need to not be so siloed. I need to listen to more people, even if I don't agree with them. I just need to hear their perspective Mm -hmm. and I need to temper myself to actually to I need to hear a lot of things I don't agree with to so that I become. That is the great uh, Jonathan Haidt, uh, Haidt, or Haidt, however you pronounce his name. You know, he he, came, he coined this term anti-fragile. You know, this idea of, of just exposing yourself to things that are uncomfortable so that you develop, uh, you know, kind of a, a, an immunity to it. You know, and also it's just also educating right. yourself and not, we have a big problem on both sides of operating in bad faith. Or we presume that because someone thinks differently or they have a different idea about it, they're, do- they're coming to that point because of bad intentions, because they're evil. Both sides think the, their opponents sure. are evil. And that is a dangerous place to be. That's- no, it's an impossible place to be. The problem is that I think there's one side that's just getting completely exhausted with saying we need to unify. We need to unify. We need to reach out and listen to the other side as you're doing. And the other side's not saying that they're doubling down. Well, yeah, that that's, and it gets exhausting. But that's because I think the mainstream left is the center. So what you're talking about is the cent is the center left who's saying we need to unify. But a, po- a lot of people on the far left are not saying that, you know, so it, it, it's, no, but, it, but in fact, people, a lot of people on the, the kind of the leftist side of it, the people they hate the most are centrist Democrats. They, they, they're big, the guy they hate the most is Buttigieg, right? Because he's an appeaser, <laughs> he's corporatist or whatever. They will put, you know, a guy like Jimmy Dore or Glenn Greenwald, all they do is want to talk shit about Biden and Kamala. They don't talk about Trump or They'll, they go on Tucker Carlson because they have more like the horseshoe theory, right? They have more in common with the far right in many ways than they do with right. centrists in either side of it. So well, I, I hear what you're saying. Yes. Ex- yes. Extremism Every time, like when Obama came in, it was like, well, we got to reach across the aisle. When Biden comes in, we got to reach across. You never hear about any Republican coming in and saying, no, we really need to reach across the aisle because they're because 
Right. Because the center is the moderate wing of the of the Democratic Party. So and we value that. Right. Like me, I'm, I consider myself more of a centrist. Centrist like a liberal. But so I believe that right. I think part of me was like almost wanted the Democrats to lose the Senate because I'm like, then it is a stalemate. And now they kind of have to work together to do anything. Even if I want those policies, I think there is like we cannot have a system where one person side wins and then all the policies swing this way. And then the other people win, and then all the policies swing this way. That, that, that's what creates. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, you know, this like nervousness when, like, this is the problem when, and this is basically people wonder, like, oh, so many people voted in the last election. I'm like, yes, because both, every election, everyone gets told this is the most important election of your life. If you don't vote, basically, if it goes against you, your world will end. People can't go to the polls thinking that every time. Like, that's how people get radicalized, is by thinking that when the other side wins, the world is literally over. <laughs> Here's my question about this. Like, I know we could go on about this all day. It's like, is, is where and when do you draw a line? And, and I think, you know, you just dealt with this recently about where and when a line kind of presents itself and it can no longer be a line you can tow. And people like us who have to, you know, watch a gathering of people and you need to watch these people we're supposed to relate with fly flags that wanted you enslaved. They fly flags that want me and my family dead. You know, I'm speaking specifically about Confederate and Nazi propaganda. I see it, all this stuff. And if you went to like a liberal rally, I mean, maybe more recently with the stuff with the police, you could take a different kind of thing, but um, you're not going to see anything there that's going to want to murder anyone. It's not going to want to put anybody out. And the only people who could be abjectly uh, opposed to a march like this is like conservative Christians or somebody who thinks that either color or diversity or religion is an abject um, threat to my livelihood. So it's like the things that one side asks for is sort of this metaphorical threat to livelihood, and the other side is an actual threat to livelihood, you know? And that's where life. <laughs> I'm getting to a point uh, where I'm like, I'm done. Like, how am I supposed to reach across the aisle? For somebody who's even partially okay with Nazi propaganda or the Holocaust didn't happen or something like right. that. Like, if you think that, me and you are no longer simpatico. We're no longer having a fucking conversation. I'm locking my door because you want to hurt my fucking family, you know? Um, and that's where I do, like, philosophically believe in what you're talking about and have always my whole life tried to be a unifier if I can. But I, I've gotten a little diametrically opposed this last year or two to this idea that I'm always supposed to be so giving, you know? Well, it's all, well, I think there's a lot there. So the first thing is we as individuals, right? We describe our own standard, okay? 
So that means if someone else is an asshole, I don't have to be an asshole to meet them in the middle, right? But so this is like the whole when they go low, we go high, right? And a lot of people in the last few years, well, well, fuck that. We're going low, let's get in the dirt, right? And I think what you're talking about, A, things always get a little murky when we all become extremely confident of how righteous our cause is, right? And the problem is, is that once you feel extremely righteous, that you are so much in the moral right, then almost anything you do to stop the opposition is, um, you know, you can, is, is substantiated, right? This is why, and I'm not trying to compare it to you, but I'm saying like, this is why like you can have a, a suicide bomber. Because they are so much, they believe they're so much in the moral right that an, an atrocity actually can, can be considered a great moral right. And so then, so then it we becomes about that. what are your principles, right? So if you say, well, I'm someone who believes in nonviolence, that's my principle. But then you're also reposting, punching Nazi memes. So which one is it? Are you nonviolent? Or are you just anti-fascist, right? So certain principles start to right. do like creep over other principles. And so you have to decide who you really are, right? And my whole point is this. Yes, you have the person with the Confederate flag. One, let's go to, let's go to the good faith idea. I think we, it's important to understand that most of these people, like symbols are just symbols. They're meaningless unless we put meaning into them, Right. I think, A, a lot of that stuff is more ignorance than it is malice. I think a lot of people don't know what they mean or they mean different things to them. So, it, it, and that just is what it is, yeah, right? It's like, that's true. this just, you know, Beverly Hills Cop, Eddie Murphy, giving that. Look at Eddie Murphy giving the white power sign in 1984. Or maybe he's just saying, okay. So, <laughs> the s- symbol is something we put into it. But the other element yeah. is is that um, methodology, right? And a lot of the outcomes you want are counterintuitive. So intuition says, punch a Nazi. But does that actually stop people from hating? No, it doesn't. When you punch someone, it makes them burrow deeper inside of what they feel. And it actually will will make them more oppositional to the people who are against them. Yes, well, it... Drive. I get the idea of driving people out of public spaces and wanting them to, or we're going to dox them, we're going to take their job away and all this so that we'll make them so scared to be publicly known about some of these extreme ideologies that they won't go and do rallies and they won't show their face. I get that. There Mm -hmm. There is an effect there that I think is tangible, but I don't think it's sustainable because... I think mm-hmm. ultimately, do we have a thought police? Do we, does hate and prejudice lives in the mind? All right. It's an internal process. Right. And so what we've done is we've taken these markers like, oh, if someone says a racial slur, so I'm going to slap a scarlet letter on them and then put, take them to decency jail. But all they, so all you're doing is basically communicating to people who have abhorrent thoughts is don't communicate it. Keep it underground. 
That's all you're doing. Mm-hmm. So if you're just if you're socially intelligent enough to ha- be the most hateful person around, all you have to do is just not say the magic word, and it's all right. Right. So right, 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 right. What right, I'm right, saying right. is the outcomes you and I want takes a different type of methodology. You'll take you like I forget this uh, Christian Piccolini guy who like reforms neo Nazis and stuff, and he'll tell you all the same stuff I'm telling you. No, right. it's not punch Nazi. It's you got to, these are, these are broken people. They're sad people. They're afraid. They're lonely. And they go to places that say, it's okay. Come on in. Right. Uh, So any, and this is the, and this is a big problem. Like Donald Trump should have lost by 10 points in the election. He lost by five, (laughs) but because a lot, because of the way kind of, you know, I, some of these terms I've been hate using because I think they're so po- they're so like put in, but what you they're called woke culture, cancel culture, all that stuff. All that stuff essentially just turns young people to become right wing, and they're doing it almost almost like as a knee jerk. Like it's not about tax policy, it's not about immigration. It's just like these people don't make me feel like shit all the time, and the and the at the crux of Modern left wing kind of philosophy is everything is shame. It's you should be ashamed that you're not anti racist. You should be ashamed that you're not for trying to save the environment. You should be, and so it's just a bunch of people just being, just feeling shameful about themselves. And that is not a winning political Mm. strategy. And it's not a way of like garnering people Mm. to your side. And that's kind of what Trump's right really great skill and kind of thing he recognized that no one else recognized is he just made people feel good. You know, like you'd see those dumb people. It's okay to be white shirts. So don't just fucking ridiculous. But, and I can say that's ridiculous in a lot of ways, but if you're constantly being told you're the oppressor, you're the privilege, you're this, then that's how you're going to feel. So the question is yet what we have is this like advancement of abhorrent ideas, right? You had all these white supremacist organizations who felt emboldened when Trump came into office. And so they started showing their face more in public. They started, but then what did, what did the left do? Then you have this uprising of Antifa, which I, I, I know has good intentions, but the one second you engage them with violence, then they get to, then you become a campaign ad. And then I could just, the way I get, you know, people on my side and say, Hey, the, look who's coming to get you. They're going to pull you out of your house or they're going to, you know, it's so it's like this idea that one extreme inspires the other extreme. And it kind of like they, it, it, you know, in, in a way what made January six. So it's amazing in a, in a kind of morbid way is like, there was no opposition. There was no counter protests. Mm. So you just got to see them for who they were. Right. So sometimes this idea is like the way yeah, right. just don't engage and let them show their ass. But do you know what I'm saying? Like people think. I, I do know what you're saying, but there, there's sometimes victims to those policies, you know, because it is, it's like, it's part of the whole, like they go low, we go high. I mean, it's very complex, but that was sort of the initial thinking of the Jews. But a guy with a flag at a protest is not a policymaker. He's just a guy with a flag. So 
if you want to deal with policies, you solve that politically and you get people elected and you, you, you vie for your policy that you want. But what I'm saying is the way to deal with policy is not to punch a guy holding a fucking Confederate flag. I'm sorry. It's not. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel really righteous. And it makes you like, I'm good. They're evil. And when you think someone's evil, you don't have to recognize their humanity. And you don't have to do the, you don't have to do the like origin story, right? How did they get here? Did they start out with a Confederate flag right. in their baby crib? I don't know. How did they get here? But if you don't recognize them as being human. <laughs> I mean, some. No, yeah, some. And guess what? That means it's not their fault. They were made that way <laughs> right. by fucking idiot, right, right, right. shitty parents. So why would you be mad at them that they were indoctrinated at a young age and now they're at, they have these shitty ideas, right? Is that their fault? I don't know. I mean, eventually, eventually it is. You know, if you're a 35-year-old person saying, hey, that's how I was raised about anything, that's your failure as someone who's grown up to be an adult. Yes, but what I'm, what I'm saying is we're kind of, we're all dealt, the hands were dealt. And what I'm saying is, how do you take that person who feels that way and change them? Is it by calling them a piece of shit? You suck. Probably you should not. go fucking kill yourself. Oh, not, wow, you really did a great job of convincing me to join your side. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> right, 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 like, right. A 19-year-old on Twitter told me to kill myself. I'm going to change my yeah. whole no, way of thinking. No, but I agree with you <laughs> in the abstract. I agree with you on like who's on the right side of history. I agree with you in terms of kind of the, the, the moral end of things. I, where I disagree is the methodology and how to get the outcomes you right. seek. Because people... Sure. So that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's all counterintuitive. It's all the thing you think is going to work doesn't work. Right. It's like, wow. Every time we shoot the bad guy with guns, he gets stronger. And that's what it is. It's like, you have to be more deft and you have to be more compassionate. And yeah, and it requires you to always be the adult in the room and it sucks. <laughs> right. It does. You know? I Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, 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 for sure. Well, you know, speaking of stuff like this, like <laughs> we're going to stop there. Um, since there's so like, you know, and I just did it to you since there's so few, you know, black people in the hard rock and metal scene. Do you often find yourself in a position where you like are forced to represent like the entire community? And is that tiresome for you? Or do you like jump at the chance to, to try to? Well, I always sorry, tell this fun thing, way, like for doing it to you again. Oh no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> well, one, there's like some people would always ask that kind of about God forbid, like oh, you know, black man. I'm like, I'll say this, you know what? It's better to be known as the black man than not be known for anything. <laughs> there's so many, there's so many bands that don't have any identity or any like thing that's their it's thing. True. Um, true. Listen, I, I think there is a. That's actually more broad of a question than I think what you're actually addressing is. Okay. And the, so to me, the bigger issue or the bigger like thing we're trying to navigate is actually not necessarily that there's uh, you know less amount of diversity in hard rock or metal or hardcore or whatever. It's that actually for in the in America the black community is less welcoming of stuff that's considered white. 
So the so right. the black people that end up getting into the that stuff are kind of like getting it from both ends mm-hmm. because they're kind of an outlier in their initial communities or families. Right. And then they're also end up kind of being this, uh, you know, an outlier in the communities that they kind of go into. So I, th- I think it speaks a little more to those people that end up getting into these things, you know? Um, and so already you're kind of an individual that goes against the grain, right? That mm-hmm. does things that aren't expected of you. That is, right. Hey, I'm going to be kind of a cultural tourist, right? I'm going to try different things. I'm going to be open, open-minded, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of whatever comes along with that, I've always been perfectly fine being an ambassador of that or speaking to those issues. Cause I think they're utterly fascinating. You know, when I have, I have, go out of my way to have black artists on my show, women on my show, gay people on my show to speak to whatever, you know, whatever that experience is like, um, because it just is what it is. And this, like I said, this goes back to kind of like my good faith thing. Metal, the world I can isn't white male because majority white male, because it's trying to be that way. It just is. It's just a suburban kind of middle class thing. You know, heavy metal is created by black Sabbath and Judas priest and iron maiden in England. It's, it's culturally European. It's just what it is. And it's like, sure. People just vibe with whatever they, they vibe with, you know, it just is Mm. what it is. So, yeah, but I, but I, but I do think that to me, the most important thing is actually to, really permeate American black culture or what is kind of like the de facto idea of hip hop culture, which is now pop culture, mm. right? Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, yeah, sure. it's okay for young black kids to listen to things that aren't hip hop and R and B. It's okay to play instruments. It's so, you know, to me, that's because the, the problem isn't that white people aren't letting black people go to shows. It's that American black culture is basically the way black culture is in America is that they're very innovative. So when they, so it's Mm -hmm. like, and, and very fashionable. So it's like, Oh, Oh, that song. Oh, that was last week's song. Oh, that, that outfit. No, we don't dress like that. Like it's very much, it's a very short memory. Right, they're always on to the new thing. So, oh, we were doing blues. Now we're doing. We were doing jazz. We're onto this. We were doing this. So, whereas rock and metal culture, we said, which is more European in nature, is all about history. Right, it's all about. Oh, we're going mm-hmm. to the festival, and it's all about we're going to see Motorhead because that's the we love. It's you know <laughs> we're going. You know, it's very much about yeah gaining this kind of historical credibility and attaining to that you'll go see some kids some 15 year old kid at a festival with a put patches on and it's all old bands right you like you almost have to be like right. a really badass new band for them to put your patch on right um right so yeah, sure that those are cultural differences where one is about hmm. understanding history and, and and being of a certain stature and others is about well if you're last week i'm not even paying attention to you i'm moving on to the next thing so that's kind of at the core of it, yeah. I think, but I think if you, if the black community opened up itself a little more to those things, then you'd have way more black people at the shows. 
So I don't really, I think it's a little more, again, it's a little more different than I think people look at it, but I I have no problem talking about it because I think that's where all the interesting shit is. You know, it's like, but it's always, it's never (laughs) in the murky middle. (laughs) Well, no, I said, but people always want to kind of see, oh, what's it? So how racist is everyone else? I'm like, no, people, I mean, I don't know. If they ain't racist, they ain't racist to my face. They wait before I leave. <laughs> so I don't know, you know, where it's things they, or it's things yeah, yeah. they people don't even realize. They're, they're trying to be nice. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think, because the truth is, it's in many mm-hmm. ways, it's like the Obama vote, right? A lot of white people, that, shit, that vote made them feel good. It's like, oh, look, I feel so not racist. Oh, yes, vote. <laughs> <sighs> so sometimes... <sighs> I think it's the same way with seeing appeal the band aid. Yeah. yeah, but no, but I, but I think there's something good. in the same way. Like giving to charity makes you feel good, right? Yeah. This idea that I'm benevolent, sure, I'm, yeah. you know, I think that it's the same way in the metal scene where if they see a black artist that they really like or they kick ass, they're like, they, I think they do want to be inclusive. They do. It makes like, oh yeah, like mm. we, they'll like them even more just because the, I don't know. So there's an element of that. Right. And then there's another thing, you know, see, I, I don't know if I should be telling you guys about this, but, you know, there's a lot of black dudes, that, <laughs> you know, or, or just, you know, you ever see that scene in uh, uh, Not Another Teen Movie with uh, where the, the one dude from Kent, was it, uh, was it the dance dancing movie? I don't know. There's two black dudes at the party and the one dude's like, yo, man, I was supposed to be the only black dude at this party and he leaves. So, <laughs> a lot of brothers, they like being the only black dude at the party. They like that. They're like, yeah, it's great. Right, 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 right. I'm the black dude. That's what, you know, they think, you know, there's, there's a little bit of that. Not me. Not me. But there's a couple of them out right. there. They're like, yo, what you doing on my block? I'm supposed to be the token dude here. You know, so there's a little <laughs> right. bit of that, too. Is, is that? Do you think that's just like a feeling of like, in any context, is that just like a person finding like a small avenue to just feel exceptional, to just feel independent and like one of a kind? Like, is that where that impulse comes from? Everyone wants to be special. One. Right. Two, I think, you know, I'm really fascinated by um, black conservatives, right? Because it's, uh, it's a through line. Like there's a lot of the, the, the ideas around it are very consistent through, through, People become black, especially I, I can only speak to America. I don't know as much about uh, across the pond, but sure. I think a lot of it that the thrust of black conservatism is the idea that my blackness is not the kind of most defining thing about me, mm, mm-hmm. right? It's this idea of wanting to kind of graduate out of that. And that's and that, and that is kind of consistent, I think, with a lot of conservative orthodoxy is like, well, we want to thought about being black, but to the point where it, it doesn't recognize it. Right. And I, listen, and I think there's mm. people, you know, like some like Bakari Sellers, for example, where he's like he, he's like being black is the most important thing about his personality. And I don't agree with that. I think it's like, really? Right. Something you know, it's 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 like you didn't have a choice in that. It just is what it is. And. But whether you completely <laughs> right. ignore it or you, you completely highlight it, you know, I'm not saying there's one right way to be, um, mm-hmm. but there is this, this idea that once you kind of extricate yourself from that, that like me being black is kind of just a matter of fact, like why well, happen to be black? 
but it's not really a thing, then it allows you to kind of, in a sense, I think it's it's tied to like these ideas of, of success and, and social mobility, right? It's like, well, well, I can be this. Mm-hmm. I can go. I can be an executive over here. I can go move to this place because I'm not completely defined by this one thing. And a lot of that, I... I totally get. And I think it's actually, I think anyone, especially yeah. if you, if you rewind the clock to any black professional that made strides at a time where a lot of black people get through, you had to kind of like put that aside and just like, well, I'm here yeah. because I deserve to be here. And it's not right. about that. Um, I don't know how I got on this. Did you watch your grandfather have to do that at all? Yeah. But there was, but to a certain degree, I think uh, it's, it's a, in a way, it's like it's like like a a spiky ball there, because there's a lot of kind of right. intra politics in within the social framework of even black communities between like oh well this like me I'm very light skinned I mean, it's very my my grandfather was was very very light skinned um, maybe that gave him advantages in some in in, in some ways and we see like Barack Obama right. became president Barack Obama was mixed. Right, he was biracial. Right, we call him mm-hmm. the first black president, but he was biracial. Um, and there's this True. idea that you to succeed, I think, in the '50s and the '60s, you had to downplay your blackness. Right, the way you speak, the way you dress, right. the way you kind of you had to kind of conform to certain uh, norms uh, to kind of move forward. And, the, and we saw now there was a real diffusion of that in the seventies with the black power movement. Uh, that was the, you know, the kind of preceding hip hop culture and a lot of stuff kind of changed with that. But I think there's a lot of at the heart of kind of conservative ideology is this idea of conforming, right? It's like, well, if you're a refugee, you move to a country, you gotta, you have to, you know, uh, assimilate, assimilate, right? Um, and so there's the practical side of that, where it's like, fuck yeah, you need to assimilate, you try to get a job, make some money, and then there's the like kind <laughs> right. of yeah. uh, cultural pride element of like, well, why do I got to change? Yeah, gotta, you sure. know, why do we gotta, you know? And I kind of get both sides of it, and I'm probably a little more on the let's, let's just just get your shit done. Don't worry, don't worry about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like I said, I don't know. Did we go down it's a rabbit hole? I feel like yeah. we, I feel like I'm. Am I going off topic? No, I, I asked. I asked you this question, so it's actually still yeah. very specifically okay. on topic. Um, okay. It's funny. My father is just expressing to me uh, something where him and his friends in the 40s and 50s, you know, being uh, you know first generation immigrants, they're you know their parents from you know European Jews, that him and his friends kind of. Uh, overly adopted like American macho culture. They wouldn't learn Yiddish. Uh, they wouldn't wear yarmulke. They wouldn't like, and it was this idea that like the European Jew got fucked and they were too weak and that we're like Americans and like, we don't speak those old languages. We don't do this. We're more strong. We're different. You know, and it was kind of this, like you were talking about this um, meeting of, uh, you know, imagining whatever is the issues of the past with exactly what you want to be and holding on to your identity—it's it's very complicated. Yeah, and I, by, by the way, in the way I look at it, 
is again in, in a in a good faith framework of of just trying to see these patterns and understand people think a little differently and go okay everything they're coming with is not wrong right there's utility right. there's yeah. utility to 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 that stuff and it's about I think finding a balance. I mean, I think one of the interesting things about Obama um, and in his, uh, there's a, a movie or the, I don't know, it's a series or movie that came out that kind of talked about his college years where he was trying to figure out who he was, right? Mm-hmm. He was trying because he was so well educated and he was kind of pretty much raised by his mother and in white environments. When he went to college, he felt disconnected from his blackness, right? Mm. But here's the question. What does that mean? What does black, uh, what does authentically being black even mean? Right. Is it listening to a certain kind of music? Is it having a certain kind of haircut? Is it spending time with certain people? And everyone has to kind of figure that out. I, you know, and it's something I think a lot of biracial people, especially in America, especially in the last 50 years, kind of have to have this internal dialogue with themselves about figuring out who they are. And my, yeah. and, the, and, and listen, and I, I think I've seen that manifest in a lot of different ways, in some ways that I'm not really comfortable with other people. And I'm like, I feel they got trapped in feeling like, God damn, mm. you see that? Uh, they got trapped <laughs> in a way where they felt like, oh, well, the way I can be black is to, I need to listen to this kind of music. I need to dress this way. I need to. And I, and I think that's, unfortunately, I think it's reductive. I think it's shallow. Uh, and me, I kind of look at things in a more of a smorgasbord type of mentality. Like one of my favorite blogs back in the day was stuff white people like. <laughs> and it was kind of like making fun of hipsters. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I kind of looked at this list and I was like, check 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 <laughs> kind of going going through uh but but at the same time like i had the benefit of really existing in both worlds i grew up in a black community that was lower class and urban right and i got to go to a private school that was mostly white and wealthy and i got to live spend time with these parents and spend time with this family and really exist in both worlds and that's a great social education uh, because yeah. it's not everything you would think it would be. It's not like, oh, this is like this and that is like that. It's actually a lot more complex. Like my black family was more wealthy and proper, like, you know, didn't curse. Didn't my my white side of my family was cursing up the joint and drinking like it was it was not exactly what it was not uh, tied to stereotypes you know, quite as much as people yeah, would right. think. But I also realized, like, I don't think you have to choose, you know? I mean, you could say by default what I do, you say, oh, he chose. He's a heavy metal guitar player, so he decided he went He went white. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> and I guess, uh, you know, an argument can be, can, can be made for that. But, you know... Uh, I don't know. I, I I choose to take from the whole kind of bouquet of culture and absorb what I want when I want. You know, I don't I don't think you You're have to. You're a beautiful, choose. beautiful, complex man, Doc. 
You are. That's right. I got me a New Jack City poster right there, keeping me straight. Ice is looking down at you. He's like, hey. But sit your $5 ass down before I make change. <laughs> Don't play too much guitar. <laughs> um, all right. So I've had you for a million years already, and we haven't had that much fun. So I okay. want to do a couple of our fun things <laughs> right here at the end, just so we can pepper in a little joy to the program, you know? So this is a little segment, Doc, we call Mystery Fret where I'm going to prompt you on a story, something that happened. And I would like you to tell me that story, get into it a little bit, and uh, try to guess which mystery friend of yours told you. So apparently you were once at a movie theater in Hollywood. This would be Los Angeles. And you were seeing a film. I'll give you the film if you need it. And accidentally crashed the celebrity-studded John Wick 2 pre-release screening. <laughs> what was that all about? Uh, well, it's... I mean, I'm sure my girlfriend must have told you that. No. Right? No. What did Joe, Joe True? No. Who's that with? Oh, God, I oh, no, actually Luke, did Luke, oh, Luke, Luke probably told you. It's that. Luke. It's Luke. It's Luke. Yeah. I had to think about all the people I went to movies with. So yeah. if you go to the Arclight in Hollywood, uh-huh. they do a lot of premieres there. So, or like pre-screening. So you'll, you go there on almost, well, when theaters were open, <laughs> uh, you know, you could <laughs> right. go there on any given night and you would see all kinds in of. In the 80s. The yeah. 80s. So, you know, not that, not that long ago. Uh, <laughs> So, like yeah, that. I mean, it's pretty, yeah, was it John Wick? I remember there was one, I remember there was a Joker one. There was, you know, it's it's L.A., you know I mean? Listen, the first day, I, literally, I was in L.A., went to Veggie Grill, and Davey Havoc was there, and Moby. <laughs> oh, and Davey Havoc together was dressed like independently? Independently. This is just, oh, by the way, right wow. next to that same arc light. So who knows what was, was shown that day? Okay. So who so did I'm you sure, see yeah, coming out of John Wick 2? I'm trying to remember. I saw the um, the guy that's in the movie who was also in Fargo. The guy who, who puts Steve Buscemi into the, the wood oh, chipper. Yeah. yeah, sure. I remember we stopped at the Pancakes him. House. We stopped at the Pancakes House. I remember yeah. seeing him specifically, but he was in the movie. And I'm trying to remember who else. But yeah, I mean, you usually... It's kind of crazy. I remember uh, I went to go see some movie, not even there, but at another theater, not even close to there. And James Woods was there. And they were like, okay. went, they went, to, what did he go see? He was talking about, um, I think we, he went to go see The Jungle Book. I think and he was talking about how great it was. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you seem really, you know, like he's notoriously like an asshole, but he, he seemed really nice yeah. being nice to people. So I don't know. All right. Yeah, I mean, wow, it's LA. It's kind of at all. You see enough, yeah. you don't even pay attention anymore, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has anyone, <laughs> has it happened to you? Or someone's like, oh, shit, that's Doc Coyle coming out of the film. I mean, people recognize me. I'm just trying to think if it's happened in a movie. <laughs> that I remember. Not that I remember. It's kind of, here's what's funny. So I'm such a movie nerd, right? Yeah. And I would go to the, um, uh, the New Beverly, which is Tarantino's oh, yeah. 
theater. And you I know, read about I would that go, a lot in uh, the Patton Oswalt books. He wrote basically like a book that that's about his experience going to the New Beverly like five times a week for a couple of years. Well, that's perfect because literally every guy that's there looks like Patton Oswalt. It's just like, <laughs> of course, nerd city, right? And yeah. it's funny me. I'm there. I'll be like looking all rock and roll, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm not like these people, but I'm I'm like them. <laughs> But I'm not like them, right? Like it's right, like things right. could have, you know, it's like. But in my heart, I'm a I'm a nerd. But it's just funny, like yeah. being being around all, all these people. But I go there and yeah, you're like I'm in the, the same place as you, but I'll bust your ass if I have to. No, I won't bust your ass. I'm just listen. I'm just <laughs> this. Really, I I get to do this, and then I go and play on stage and be a cool guy. And you're just right, this right, is right. it for you. This is it. <laughs> this is it. This is behind a computer. I get it. I'm like, but in some ways I look around and go, this is my tribe. These are my, these are my people. Really. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. So it's, but usually cool. like something like that, I would just run into people I actually know at, at New Beverly when it was still. Oh, uh, okay. I miss it dearly. I mean, it shows stuff in 35 millimeter. It, you know, they would do so midnight cool. movies on Fridays and Saturdays. Usually there'd be like a Tarantino right. movie of the week. I mean, it's just, was the, and that like popcorn's like two dollars. Sneak booze in. It's great. Love it. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, that book is called. Well, it was right behind me. Silver Silver Screen Fiend. It's really entertaining. Yeah. It's just about him being the biggest nerd for a couple of years. Um. All right. So Doc, years. you yeah it was it was it was a time apparently he's still a nerd. Um, all right, come on. Yeah, the biggest. Uh. So you're you're essentially New Jersey heavy music royalty at this point, even though you've left us um, and sold out just a little bit. I but did. <laughs> so if you're making, say you meet one of these cool people, you meet someone from like Super Bad or something at the fucking you know In and Out Burger, and they're like, "Hey, could you make me a mixtape?" So if you're making the essential New Jersey heavy music mixtape. I'm talking mm. hardcore, metal, anything heavy music. Who's got to be on it? Who's got to be on it? I mean, opening tracks got to be E-Town. That's the jerseyest band <laughs> ever. Jerseyest band ever. All right. They need yeah. like three three tracks on there. <laughs> um, then we go Overkill. You know, okay. got to have some, yeah. some, some Overkill on there. Sure. Um, Gotta have. Do I have to put any of your bands on there? Or do I? No, no, no. We weren't heavy enough. I never got the cred on your side, baby. No, no cred. Listen, but you guys, you know, took off. Maybe be the album closer. It's like a like a palate cleanser. Yeah, just like hey, I listen to yes, some, like right? Yeah. Um, Dillinger. Gotta have uh, Dillinger yeah, yeah. Sure. jam on there. Um, gotta have. Some Thursday on there. Okay. Gotta have some nice. MyChem on there. Gotta have Il Nino represent. <laughs> Gotta like. What are we thinking about? Like the old, the old school, like Skid Row, Trickster. I mean, well, I mean bon, bon, bon Jovi. Jovi, and well, it's really Bon Jovi, and it's Bruce are like the kings of all kings. But I feel like they're like too good to be on there. Like we're not educating anyone. By putting yeah, yeah. them on there, you know. No, you'd have um, to go Skid Row or Southside Johnny or something a little deeper cut. Yeah. Well, it's like, here's the thing: I almost feel 
remiss in even making a compilation like this because it's so autobiographical, right? Like, do am I the guy really to to describe the whole thing? I can tell you what I like out of that scene, but I mean, but is that? I don't know. I feel like it's being a little. I'm just projecting a little bit. Like, hey, listen, here's the shit I well, think. Yeah, but if there. you're not the guy. <laughs> Someone else is going to pretend to be the guy, Doc. I know. So you might I'm just saying, well like, it's list, very, you know? it's very self-centered. You know, it's going to be for the love of. It's going to be train of thought. Right. I was just about it's to ask how many FTLO songs would be on there. Several. You know, definitely got. See, this thing, bulldoze before my day, but you got to put some bulldoze on there. All right. So Fury yeah, Five. Sure. Got to, got to go on there. We got, we got. You know, the streets have to speak. Uh, Saves the day has to go on there. Right. Dead guy. All right. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. Who, 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 who am I missing? Um, actually, should I put some like ripping corpse, like some old school like death metal yeah. people don't even know about? Yeah. What about like discordance um, axis or human remains? Nah. H- human remains. Human remains goes on there. That's human classic. Okay. okay. Um, where else do we go? I'm trying, a little, I'm trying no, to let's give I'm... Chris Ross a little love. Let's give Nora a little okay. love. Just for fun. Okay. Just for you. <laughs> Okay. I didn't, great Chris, see me? I'm doing this because Benny asked. Sorry, right? I was going to leave you off because I was just being just being a dick. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I feel like I'm, I'm. I mean, do I have to put like uh, the Fuji's on there or some shit? Like, just let people know, like you know, well, gaudy I was by nature. Heavy music, guitar music, yeah. you know. But okay. yeah, so I mean, if if we open up the hip hop world, that opens up. A whole number of, you know, once you open up like hip hop, soul, that kind of music from New Jersey, that opens up a whole nother category. So what's going on? I want to know what's going on with the wedding band, which is like one of the coolest mixes of stuff I've seen. I saw you playing a Billy Idol song somewhere. And I'm like, what the fuck is even going on here? I was thinking two things. I was like, A... That's Doc on stage with the guy from Ugly Kid Joe, which took me one way. And then I'm like, that's Doc on stage with fucking Kirk Hammett, which took me another way. So what, what, how did that even like come to pass? And like, what's going on with that? Uh, I got to tour with Metallica in 2009. I was filming for Lamb of God. So I got right. to meet the guys. They were awesome. And then fast forward when I moved to L.A., I was doing this cover band with Ken Schalk from Candiria. Shout out. Sure. And Ken was filling in for Rob's other band called Mass Mental, which is this oh, really? really cool band with like uh, Benji from Skindred and, uh, and uh, who's, yeah, the actual drummer in that band is Brooks Wackerman. It was in oh, wow. religion. Now he plays in the band Sevenfold. Yeah, sure. So he was filling in for Brooks and and it's one part of the set where they do Black Sabbath. They need a guitar player. It's a two bass player band. It's, uh, Rob Trujillo and this guy, okay. Armand Sebelecho. And they just have wow. a guitar player for this one little Black Sabbath segment of the set, which Whitfield also sings on. And they were looking for guitar players. People they wanted weren't really available. Somehow my name came up. And that's to come down. Jam these songs, these Sabbath songs. Did it. Ended up doing the gig. It was like... Literally, I said the first thing I did when I moved to LA. So it's like 2014. And uh, I'd only been in LA maybe a couple months. It was like Ozzy was at the show and Stuart Copeland from the police was at the show and Duff McKagan was there. And I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. Wow. Um, 
did the gig. And, uh, you know, and the, the thing was kind of cool. Like when we, even when I got there, like I just, you know, set my, all my shit up and like Armand just starts playing. And I just started like jamming. Like I just started, I just started playing right with them and kind of like, and I think, uh, with that and, you know, uh, Rob just saw that I wasn't like intimidated, you know, and that I was like, I just kind of flowed. And so he just, he called me the day after the game yeah. and he goes, man, he's like, you did a great job. He's like, I love your feel. I love your attitude. He's like, you're going to do great here. And he just kept calling me to like do, like we ended up doing <laughs> another gig because uh, the bass player couldn't do it. Uh, so I was just basically like the second guy. We did, we played like this award show thing. And then he would, and, the, and I wasn't even the main guitar player because he would have this other guy who was the main guitar player. So they had other gigs where I would just rehearse okay. with the band but then this other guy would do the gig, but it's like, I don't care. Rob called, you just, you just show up. And then kind of yeah, around sure. the time Bad Wolves <laughs> started getting busy, Metallica had a new album. So they were really busy too. So we, you know, we, we always stay in touch. Like he, he like tried to offer, help me get the suicidal tendencies gig, but I was busy with Bad Wolves. And he, he would always like, you know, he's trying to get me to do this, uh, um, What's the other band? Infectious Grooves. He was like trying to get me on the gig with that. And, right. and so we were always in touch. And then I heard about the wedding band thing. I was on, you know, on tour and I was like, oh, that's, that's fucking cool. And then he calls me, he goes, Hey man, you think you could f- do rehearsal? Just fill in for Kirk and just be like, the, just play Kirk at rehearsal. And, I was like, and it turns out I had okay. this time off and I was like, fuck yeah, I'll, I'll be there. You know, there's a lot of songs. Yeah. Some of the songs we had already did with Mass Mental, but I, was, I remember feeling like, oh man, I really want to be good, but I felt like I was not quite as prepared as I wanted to be. But I, I did as much as I could. Then we did the rehearsal, and it was like it was fucking great. Like it sounded really good, and I was like, as long as I got through it, I was like, all right, I didn't, I didn't screw anything up, and I thought it sounded good, and it was fun, and wrapping up my shit, and I'm like putting my stuff away, and then I'm just like, man, it's like you sounded really good, man. It's like I, you know, I. I, would you would you want to do the show? And I was like, what? And he's like, and it was like the day before, or like I had to be start a tour, and he's like, well, let me make some calls. Let me see if I can get you, maybe get you on the show. And then he comes back and he's like, yeah, it's really not much room in the budget. And I'm like, oh, all right. But then I I didn't think about it. Now already my wheels are already turning. I got all psyched up. I was like, well, what if I yeah. can fly myself there? You think I can? Maybe do it. And he's like, yeah, right. Yeah. I'll call you later. And then he called me back a couple later, uh, a couple hours later. He goes, "You can fly yourself there. Then we can. We'll, we'll have you do the gig." So it was very fly by the seat of the pants. So I just flew in to Toronto, like red eye, no sleep, shot. I had to go right yeah, in rehearsal. Yeah. Then the next day, you know, like we do the gig. You know, it was it was sick, man. It was like really fucking fun and like. It was it was bugged out, you know, like I, I but like I said, I think I got the gig because I was really well prepared and he felt that it would make the band better. And, you know, as long as Kirk was right. OK with it, because it's like, you know, it's a one guitar player band and you like another guitar player. You you don't want to, like, step on anyone's toes or anything like that. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, it was fun. And and then, you know, what was it six months later or something? Get another email. Hey, man, we got an offer to do another gig. You know, can you do it? And it was like, if this is going to be like a, because last time we were doing a, uh, 
was at a music store. It's almost like a showcase more than a show. And this oh, was at okay. like a theater. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, there's going to be tons of, you know, we had like almost a re- week of rehearsals in LA, almost a week of rehearsals in South Carolina. And it was like all, you know, it was a, through Live Nation. And, and I, it, again, turned out I was free. And so we ended up doing the second gig and it was a lot more work, a lot more stress. <laughs> My back ended up going out like at Soundcheck. Yeah. Um, oh, shit. but it was cool, man. And, and I felt same thing. I'm always things like this. I always feel like just don't just be humble. Shut your mouth unless you, they need to, you should open your mouth, you know, just be yeah. like a fly on the wall and be reliable, be prepared. Um, but be like sure. a sponge, you know, just try and like absorb, uh, you know, lessons from all these great vet- veterans, you know, these just really exceptional musicians. And, uh, yeah. so so yeah, I mean it was, and that was that one was like I said a much broader experience because we were we just rehearsed a lot more, got to spend a ton of time in uh, in South Carolina, and the thing that's great about them and they're very family oriented. It's like every night you go out with everyone, every we go to dinner every night, oh, the cool. whole band, all the you know the security people, everyone. It's like boom, we're all together. Oh, cool. Like it's and they're they really put that's a good. an emphasis on like doing. Being like, there's the playing, but they really value like the social aspect of what bands are. You know, oh, that's which great. Is, which is well, yeah, it was man, a trip it's... seeing you up there, man. <laughs> it truly was. I was like, oh <laughs> yeah, shit, look, it's Kirk Hammond on that side, and there's Doc. That's crazy. Uh, so I was, I was super happy to see it. <laughs> yeah, man, but, it's uh, it, it's a cool thing. But at the same time, I also almost don't like getting too hyped up on it because then I think you, right. you know, cause who knows, maybe one day they're like, uh, you know, we're going to get someone else. And you're like, Oh, okay. You know, like you can't. Right. Right. I'm right, not the type right, person right. where I like to, to kind of put too many notches on my belt. Um, because of things I already did, you know, it's always like, what's the next thing? What yeah, are you, yeah. How are you moving forward? How are you, you know, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'll try to get too hyped up on it. Um, and just, you know, just, yeah. Cross my fingers and call me the next time and we, and we get to do it again. But we're on like a group text and we kind of like, you know, send messages to each other. Everyone was just reminiscing because it's been about a year since the last gig. So, it was, and that's literally the yeah. last thing I did before lockdown was that gig. So I was like oh, home shit. for like a week and then it was like everything was shut down. So cool, so. man. I got to meet them once and I had the same experience just like completely terrified i mean one of my first favorite bands in the world and i remember meeting kirk and remember lars and i'm just like oh that was a shockingly normal interaction that i was not expecting to play out like that <laughs> which is very well, they're, very cool. i mean the thing about them is they're real they know part of their job is like public relations is so i think right. they're really good they're they're used to like people so freaking out. They're just being nice to me because of politics. No, I no, I just think they like. <laughs> what I'm saying is like they're not awkward about the fact that they meet people all the time that they, that are like holy shit. Like they know how to put people at ease, right? You know who sure. are you know oh, um, right, 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 right. Like like they're not the type of band where they are in the band and they just hide and they don't engage with people. Like yeah. they're really. Yeah, yeah. They really take seriously the the part of dealing with the public and being a human being 
and showing showing gratitude to people that like what they do, you know? Sure. Um, and so I think they have, you know, like in a way it is like a politician. It, it really is because yeah, it's part of, of it's part of their, I think they see it as part of their jobs and they take it really seriously to like, just be like, you know, just be humanistic and just like recognize that and respect that, you know? And it's, so it's something I'm, like I said, I try and with bands like that and people on that level, it's, I try and absorb the lessons of like, this is how you should be. Yeah. Like, dude, even when I toured with them, uh, they were so cool. Like they, they invited all the bands out to this restaurant in Montreal just to hang out with the bands, no crew, no, and just the bands from like midnight to like five in the morning. Wow. They don't have Crazy. to do that. But it's important to them, yeah. and it goes, and just go show goes to show you that the biggest bands are also the you know a lot of times the most generous. And I don't think it's they yes. they got big and became generous. I think that generosity and kind of uh, that spirit I think helps cultivate the success. At least I think so. A thousand percent. No, I think you're right. I mean we we've been getting into this. I mean, essentially anybody who ever comes on to this show who's been in a band with the same members for more than 10 to 15 years, I usually pose that question. Like, how do you do it? You know, what's the style of keeping this all together? And what's the communication trick or the mastery? And almost always, like from what you're saying, there's just sort of this top-down humility and openness with your band, the rest of your band, the whole crew, the fans, like you don't get competitive. You don't get, um, uh, you know, angry with anyone else. It's just like, you know, there's work, there's friends, we figure it out. And then, and then we keep moving forward. Metallica definitely has that. I mean, Lars Ulrich introduced my band once, uh, holding a bowl of fruit salad. And, uh, I mean, yeah, it's one of the notches on my belt. I'm not like you, Doc. I put the notch on, and then I just I wear it till I die. That's that's my style. Um, you just let the, put the gut over the belt and let the gut. You just lower the pants. <laughs> let the gut come out. Actually, well, what, one thing Quest Love said that I always think about. Uh, he says the key to any band success in keeping, and they've had the same members for a while, yeah, forever, uh, for a long time. Yeah. Uh, the Roots. He said you should have planned activities outside of work that where oh, wow. the band hangs out together and does things whether that's going bowling or having dinner or whatever he's like that's the key it's the like is to have huh. a friendship outside of just the business of just playing and i was like so yeah. something to good to know and he and he was saying it like i'm giving you advice take my advice not to me personally but i forget yeah, where yeah, i read yeah. it Boy. or saw it somewhere right. Like, this is a tool. Yeah, a real tool. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Doc, we've had you on for like four and a half hours. Um, and I appreciate <laughs> it. You're the best. Uh, so I've been asking people, you know, in the era of pandemic, is there any uh, kind of book, film, podcast, something that's kind of helping you keep your uh, perspective or or just giving you some joy in this uh in this interesting time, um, I'm reading. I'm reading a book right now, and I'm 
I'm forgetting the name of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like the, uh, what is it? The obstacle is the way I think is what it's called. And uh, Chris Kell from five finger death punch gave it to me. It's kind of a little bit of that. Um, in every crisis, there's an opportunity kind of idea. Um, but that when you have a difficult challenge that the, the solutions are in there, like that is actually the point where you can develop yourself or find an opportunity to grow or whatever. So it's a way of just kind of, you know, a lot of that, that stuff is, it gets repeated in a lot of kind of self-help literature and things like that. Uh, but it doesn't make it ever any less true. Right. So they take a lot of historical examples in this book to, um, you know, they talk about like, was it Carnegie, Carnegie, one of these old rich motherfuckers <laughs> about how like they developed their, their <laughs> company at during the great depression. Right. That like, while everyone was freaking out, they were, all right, what can we do? So it's this idea of like, kind of just skewing your mind to see things differently. You know, and like a lot of people, they have, a, it's a bad, and they, bad situation. They panic and they're like, you know, everything's fucked. It's all, you know, and it's just, all you gotta do is just shift your mind around it and like, look at it from a different angle and realize, Oh no, it's actually an opportunity. So, so that's something I've been reading. I'm not, I still need to finish it. It's a, it's a short book and I still haven't finished it. But, uh, as far as other things, um, I don't know if you, have you guys seen this YouTuber ContraPoints? So it's a, a trans, uh, trans woman does a, uh, it's my favorite YouTube channel. And she does these long, like hour, hour and a half, very entertaining, um, elaborate kind of, uh, you know, video essays on particular subjects, but she's brilliant. Um, and I love getting, you know, she, like she did one on, um, JK Rowling, you know, kind of about the trans thing, that whole thing. But it's wonderful to hear that from a trans woman's perspective who understands like what that process is like and what the community is like. And she's just, she, and she's very like, she has a very 360 degree angle and really looks at things from everyone's uh, point of view and is very non-judgmental, even with people she disagrees with. So I think that's brilliant. Um, oh, there's this really cool um, thing on Hulu called In and of Itself. It's a uh, film. It's a filming of a live show, like a one-man show. This guy who's like a magician who kind of created this um, this one man show kind of around, I don't know, the emotional center point of humanity. It's really hard to describe, but I definitely recommend people watch it in and of itself on Hulu. Check that out. Uh, Brad, this is a perfect opportunity to get our uh, Hulu sponsorship now. Uh, remember, you'll watch that show on Hulu. Hulu.com <laughs> slash going off track. <laughs> Get that all right, back. Doc, yo, thanks for all this. I really appreciate you. No problem. Taking all this time on a Monday. On fucking Monday. And uh, I hope I see your face in person one day soon. Damn straight. I got a mustache now, so now, we can, now, I, now I'm allowed to hang. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Doc, thanks, man. I appreciate it. This no was problem. fun. All right. Thank you both. This Thank was this you. was a lot of fun. And uh, anytime, you know, I love. One thing about me is I love talking about me. So just. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Wow. I got, I got schooled. I got laid out. <laughs> laid out. That it's was one definitely of those, you know, worth this, it. It's nice though, isn't it? It's nice to have some real discourse these days, you know? Like we're actually yeah. a couple people can just go, you know, head to head for a minute respectfully and try to try to work through some things. I think he, he got me thinking. I yeah, admit it. There's some, some truth to a lot of what he's saying. I mean, you know, I walk away from... Some of it thinking the same exact thing I did before, still respecting his opinion. But of course, it's a lot of it really makes me think. But uh, Brad, you know what? You know it helps when I can't think too much. Uh, pouring hot sauce up your nose. Well, I love a good meal. <laughs> I realized this last night. I was like, after like a two-hour interview, I'm so like tweaked out. I drink a giant cup of coffee and I'm just all immersed in this thing. Ooh. And I'm like, I need to. I need to either exercise or eat or something after this. And I don't know about you, but I like spicy food. Yeah. And I've been using this, this, this smoky habanero from the Silk City hot sauce. I like that one a lot. I like the badass Jew yeah. is probably a close second for me. Yeah, that's hot. The badass Jew today is hot. for lunch, I took Slurp, uh -huh. which is another flavor. Put it in, uh, mix it with mayonnaise and put it on a chicken po' boy. And it was oh, like, my goodness. Totally good. like Caribbean style sandwich. So good. And you know what the best thing about it is for me is I never know what I'm allowed to bring into my house. You know, like if I bring some processed food, something oh, yeah. like, you know, that, uh, you know, the book, The Dirt Cure doesn't have in it or something. You know, <laughs> it just gets before I know it, it's like out on the side. And I'm like, wait, we didn't even finish this yet. Like, why, why is it out on the side of the house? But the cool thing about this is it's all locally grown, small batch peppers, uh, no synthetic, um, no synthetics inside of it, all just natural, good, hearty, local stuff. From Vermont. From Vermont, which is like the best yeah. natural place there is, you know? <laughs> what about that artwork? Yeah, and it's cool. Pulp artwork. It's like real uh, comic book artists. Yeah, it's really cool. It's very cool. I'm not often presented with something that I mind shilling for, but when something this cool, DIY, it's just guy named Jeff who's making it, and uh, it's a great little company. I love the art. I love the food. There's nothing about this I mind shilling for. It's not like fucking, you know, <laughs> like I'm working for Exxon here. It's a nice little hot sauce company. And best part about it is if you use our promo code GOT at SilkCityHotSauce.com, you get a free bottle of hot sauce and you get stickers and you get 15% off your first order. Not so bad. So I think people should eat some hot sauce for us. Thanks for everyone to... Uh, Tuning into this episode with Mr. Doc Coyle. It really turned out well. I didn't know where this was going to go. I know you were I mean, scared. <laughs> I know you were scared. And I didn't even get, you didn't even know, Doc is a huge basketball fan. And it's one of the things that very much connects us. We've been on a, a texting chain with his friend Luke, who's a Philadelphia 76ers fan, or our friend Luke, excuse me. And 
uh, Doc, who's a Knicks fan, and me as a Nets fan, it got so contentious last season that the text <laughs> exchange stopped because oh, it boy. got a, so hot in there. Not because of Doc, because of me and Luke, I'm afraid. Uh, but yeah, so I had a whole line of questioning about the Knicks, his first time at the Garden, all that. We didn't even get to it. Lucky you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so cool. I uh, I have an awful lot of respect for Doc. Um, he's got a, a interesting road coming up, but he's such a bright and talented fellow. I think he's going to make through everything fine. And I'm super excited to hear their new music with whoever they choose. I mean, Doc is in, we got guys from God Forbid and Devil Driver. Like they could just write music and I'd be into it, you know? But if you want to catch up with Doc, it's Doc Coyle, Instagram and Twitter, D-O-C-C-O-Y-L-E, Facebook, Doc Coyle Official. Um, yeah, he's, as you, as you heard, he's got stuff to say and he's, you made me think about some stuff for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's he's he's been very steadfast for a long time about the way he uh, sees these things, and he's taken shit from a lot of sides, from all sides, for for you know towing a line of trying to keep people together, and it's a it's a noble effort, you know. I um, I think sometimes people don't realize the discipline necessary in trying to keep a level head in times like this, but... And if you would like to make a noble effort, you can go to patreon.com slash going off track and donate to the cause. And by cause, I mean this podcast. Our podcast <laughs> cause. So you can get off this crazy website. Goodness We've got gracious. a lot of bonus content up there. We're doing a Thursday night fireside chat with all our patrons. Much fun. It's, it's so cute. It's it is. cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you want to just give us a tip, Venmo.com slash off track. That's us. Give us what you want. Dollar, two dollars, five thousand dollars, five thousand, hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. What would you do? Say give them a hundred thousand dollars gets a free t shirt. A free shirt. Yeah. That's the that's the paywall. What would you really do? Like let's say tomorrow, I don't know, some hedge fund owner. Or something was like, wow, I love I'm going to really fuck. I'm going to fuck with these guys. Love that Doc Coyle <laughs> podcast. Uh, and then we just get like a Venmo of a hundred grand. What do we do? What do we do uh, with that? I don't even I know. Don't know. Why are you saying we? You think I'm going to tell you if that happens? Oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> I knew this. I knew this was going to start. See, it starts, with, it starts with jokes. You just planted a seed. You're never going to get out of my head, Brad. Oh, for fuck's Penny, sake. Penny, don't you remember that time we asked for a million dollars? It actually is. Oh, man. I mean, you noticed my new microphone? Is that how you get all these hipster New York dad clothes? <laughs> I didn't know. I've been wearing the same Nets fucking my, hoodie for a year. My, my, my Converse fucking rubber track. What you got for free? Leftover. <laughs> Ten years free ago. Hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway. Well, let's get out of here. We've taken enough time. Much respect to Doc. Much respect to Keith David, Kirk Hammett, Rob Trujillo, other people we mentioned in this, Luke Bonenstein for the mystery question. And uh, we're going to see you next week. All right. Yeah!